Hey everyone, today is July 1st, 2023, so happy Canada Day to all you Canadians out there. And I guess as we approach, happy Independence Day for anyone listening to this from the future. Today is going to be a quick one. May and June have been a busy time for games and as well as myself. I was not only busy just kind of getting immersed in Tears of the Kingdom, Diablo 4, getting a grip on the current state of affairs on 7840U handhelds, and just kind of looking at the recent Steam sale for some indie games that finally went on sale. So let's get to it and put these games on your radar. It's turning out to be a pretty nice summer. Weather has been a bit dry. Apparently Canada has been polluting the world with its forest fires. And all I can say is, eh. Sometimes it feels like it's just another thing to worry or complain about in the world. And I think every once in a while we just need to turn off the news. The first game I want to talk about is Tears of the Kingdom. I both love and I think I'm getting to a point where I'm kind of getting tired of Breath of the Wild. Uh, it sounds kind of crazy for a game that that has just been kind of unanimously loved, like across the board. I, I am only 30 hours in, which I mean, I could probably be only one-fifth of the way through given the way that I play, kind of zigzagging everywhere and get into points where I'm like, oops, not supposed to come this way yet. That's kind of how my adventure has been. But I feel like this game is an endurance slog, and somehow it's just not the same shock and awe kind of wow factor that I experienced with Breath of the Wild. I will also admit that this is the absolute last game that I will ever consider buying for the Switch, barring an actual 11 out of 10 mystery indie game that won't come out on PC. The Switch is being kept alive beyond its years, let's just be real here. Just let the poor girl sail off into the sunset. I can't really say much more in kind of like a contextual review, because I am so early into it. But I'll leave this point by kind of saying my impressions are both positive for the fact that this is another solid Zelda entry, kind of ho-hum over the, the gorilla taping of items together to make death contraptions, kind of ho-hum on the story if I can be totally honest with you, and playing games at 30fps again, uh, but I'm thankful that Nintendo still allows Zelda to be held in such high esteem. I feel like those devs are just like, okay, well, this is kind of like the end. This is all we can do for the Switch. And I can imagine that there's just a whole bunch of people on that team who are developing for the, you know, secret Switch that they're not going to talk about so that people buy the so that people buy the special painted version of a console that is an Nvidia Shield. At some point, I know people are just I'm sure some dev is going to be like, "Man, do we still have to make games for the OG Switch?" And I say this because I think it was Activision who just kind of like dropped the bomb that the NG Switch is going to be as powerful as a PS4 or Xbox One, likely when docked, but judging by other handhelds, maybe it might be variable. But but hey, Nintendo, you can already get that right now at Best Buy. We don't need the Fisher-Price version with less RAM and runs games off of a microSD card. Yes, the replacement might run Windows, and it might be manufactured by some sort of company that has somehow lost all of its brand name stature for releasing and not standing by its products, a disappearing quality over the last half decade with zero Fs given. Since I don't really like to talk around it and I'll just kind of talk directly at it, uh, 
The handheld is obviously the ROG Ally, and the company is Asus. The ROG Ally is kind of a technological marvel, but I guess we can probably give more credit to the 7840U with its AI cores disabled. But it's kind of a reminder why Windows needs to up its game if it wants to have its fingers in all the pots. Like, Windows needs to just, like, invent a Windows game mode. Because everyone has been just using their multi-purpose PCs with tons of overhead for all the features that you don't use but is just sitting there in the background and suddenly creates an awkward moment when you try to make an, a laptop APU run fast enough to play Cyberpunk, for example, at 60 FPS. And then you realize that the stupid ROG Ally is just running like a default Windows profile. It's just kind of insane that they want you to treat a handheld like a docked PC. And I know I probably went over this before, but I think you can understand the privilege of being able to use a docked handheld like a regular desktop computer, but it doesn't mean that you should preemptively get people there. I think Windows needs like a step before Windows S, and we'll call it like Windows Xbox mode or something. Because I guarantee you the people who are picking up these devices, 99% of them are not going to make a PowerPoint presentation and save it to OneDrive. You know, I still just kind of like grit my teeth and hate the fact that I have to permanently associate one account to this PC. But doubling back here, I think Microsoft needs to make a Xbox mode for PCs. Sure, it might dilute and kind of maybe kill off the Xbox. But judging from the most recent release of games, I mean, I think the gaming industry is killing off Xboxes and PS5s all by themselves. Leave it to a game that's been hyped for, what, seven years? Starfield? To tell you that, yeah, your state-of-the-art 4K console will run the game at 30 FPS. For everyone who has a Steam Deck and realize how nice the difference between 30 FPS and 40 FPS looks, all I can say is yikes, you better have VRR enabled, or a TV that supports it, because we're going back to the Stone Ages. Uh, what else is next? Diablo 4? Man, Tears of the Kingdom looks like God's gift to man compared to Diablo 4 in the way that I'm going to talk about it. Even with all kind of like the mixed response I might have hinted at, Diablo 4 isn't bad, but again, it is the least innovative what feels like the biggest lack of passion and baby questionably executed franchise with a war chest the size of a small country. It was released in what I would call a finely polished version 0.9 of what was probably meant to be a solid release with season one. I know everyone is kind of desperately waiting for season one because the game effectively ends, I would say at 70, maybe 85 if you're just there to run around and catch the eight ultra rare uniques that you really want to find. If you didn't listen to my last podcast about the betas, I'd say maybe half of it is probably relevant now. I still feel the same as I had played Adventure Mode and Closed Beta. It is a grinding gear game, and apparently it's a dad game now, according to <coughs> the uh, silver-haired uprising that has surfaced on a site that is a sparkling poo bucket that some people call Reddit. I'm just waiting for Discord in forums fashion, you know. I feel like it's the only place where I don't have to worry about talking to robots or spammers, and moderation is actually properly done. But anyways, to get back on topic, 
In Diablo 4, after the story, you are rotating whatever, the same 100 plus dungeons, you know, I would say out of them, maybe 12 of them aren't the same, but you still avoid whatever, 88% of them, because of how uniquely terrible the rest of them are designed. World bosses are being evaporated by single players using basically a handful of uniques that are broken because the D4 team doesn't know how to balance classes. It seems like mystery chests in Helltides are the only way to get decent gear, which is kind of weird that that gear is hidden by chests that are designed to be hard to obtain, appear in random locations, but the timer doesn't help you if you're just like a casual player. If you found a whisper chest in the game that you know that they're just like stupid pieces of garbage, and like even the gambler, you know, my favorite gambler, does nothing more than just allow you to hunt for legendary affixes. Everything is under leveled. There's no reason to try and find gear from the gambler. Everything that I've found has been in mystery chests or high level nightmare dungeons. I think it was around level 63. I was helped through my level 70 capstone dungeon and we ran a couple nightmare dungeons where I found a main hand and offhand 800 item level weapons. And I'd be lying if I told you that I haven't just been using those for the last 12 levels. But all in all, if I just told you that all I was doing was pushing Nightmare Dungeons and looking for Helltides and waiting for bosses to show up at 11 o'clock at night, I would kind of question whether or not this could be called an endgame that's worth $90. And that's where I'm kind of torn. It's an ultra-casual game, which I wouldn't doubt has sold millions and millions of copies, whether it be on consoles or on PC, but it kind of worries me about the long-term appeal of a game that feels like the art team should be 900,000% commended for what they've done, but then whoever designed like the skills and class balance needs like three years of feedback before this is ever going to work. Like I can't imagine just looking at early access how they handed this in and been like, yeah, this works fine. When you have like day one barbs getting a single pair of gloves that allow them to do 2 million damage. And I mean like half of my gripes is balance especially like my god fire the balance team every video that you see that is do this to not have to struggle build seems to revolve around did you get that one unique that is poorly balanced for this class and then you look at the classes and you realize that that one unique kind of leaves only a few setups to allow you to feel pretty good specifically i want to talk about druid i know i said i didn't think druid was the worst i was so terribly wrong Druid is a chonk model and a chonked play. I've seen a few videos where there's like a level 100 storm werewolf druid that's just like destroying world bosses, destroying Lilith. And uh, yeah, after playing 300 hours in whatever, a month and min-maxing your gear, that applies to every single class. I don't think there's a single class that can't get to that point. I'm saying that Druid is like the most absolutely frustrating class to play. There's nothing like shooting a tornado and it coming out your ass, avoiding every single mob. But it's other things too, like defenses were a complete afterthought, and the distribution among classes is baffling. They have like this weird linear power scaling that as you get stronger, your defenses get more and more shit. And all that means is it kind of just dictates that I have to die to 
Helltide Skyfire on a whim because no one in the right mind is going to replace a DPS roll with a single resistance roll. It kind of makes me not want to get into the later levels of hardcore mode just because of just like the level of micromanage that I think I'll have to put up with. I'll mention this now just because whatever, I'm a scrub. I died on my first hardcore character because I used uh, the rogue's shadow clone to get out of a butcher's hook and then I dodge kited right into a elite that has what are the, the frost walls who immediately froze me and I got wombo comboed. I had no way to proc unstoppable at level 30 or or an escape skill. It, it's definitely a shame, but it's also a reason that I'm going to hold off until season one before trying hardcore again. In terms of content, world bosses spawn like something weird. Like every six hours is great for those of you who like are no lifers and will just set phone alarms. But for me, it's like I don't really know if I'd really want to wake up or like stay up to fight a world boss at, you know, 1150 at night, you know, mountain standard time. Helltides are the only system that kind of forces you to do everything in the zone. And at least it's a kind of nice that they pop up like every two hours, rewards you for it. Sometimes you can just pop out, go do a Legion event if you've already collected all the mystery chests. But it, like it forces the community to build up websites that point out exactly where the chests are because every because those are the only things that you're hunting for. Everything else in the game is worthless. And it's so weird that in this exact way, you know, really weird spawn times, only a handful of chests that you have to use external sites to actually locate. For a game that's targeting an ultra casual player base, it sure kind of picks weird times and chooses when they actually want to appeal to the ultra casual. It took like two and a half weeks of people just constantly bitching about Nightmare Dungeons. They just got revamped, uh, and the ability to teleport to the dungeon when you use your sigil is just like a godsend. But again, we're back to Diablo 3 all over again, running the same loops that we had to endure with rifts. I don't think rifts are that terrible, I just I don't think they really broke the mold when they started doing sigils. And there's some that we just kind of like absolutely avoid. It's nice that we have the choice to do them, but some of them are like co-op destroying because you can't effectively have a four-person party going out and farming an entire zone with the, what was it, the lightning cross that creates a bubble mechanic? It's so stupid for group play. Some of you are going to be like, well, I just kind of anticipate everything, and the rest of us are going to be like, well, I don't want to keep a bar... I like, I don't want to have to keep a survivability skill on my bar. Like, as a Sork, I, I gave up Fire Shield because it was just like, the more damage you do, the less you need to worry about healing yourself. It's like, I have Teleport, I have my escape. Why would I give up Teleport to, like, put on Fire Shield and maybe move faster? But it's just like, Fire Shield makes you immune, Frost Shield does not. And I can still get one shot through a Frost Shield, so being able to divide and conquer is just out on those specific Nightmare Dungeons. But, I mean, I've moderately enjoyed my time playing Sork to 75, 74. Uh, I enjoyed being power leveled and allowed to try other classes like Barb and Druid, who are just kind of like just as bad leveling in the beta as they were leveling in real life. I will definitely get my money's worth on this game, but I feel a clean launch has kind of swayed my opinion. 
it's like we weren't bitching about disconnects and like crashes all the time at least i mean i could i played from asia on a steam deck you want to talk about like the ultimate scenarios that could possibly create a crashy scenario and my experience was flawless it kind of just leads me to the point where i'm kind of like well i'm really happy to be able to play season one but i also kind of know that path of exile is around the corner and to the grinding gear games devs i kind of have to say well you have some breathing room for final polishes especially with other games that are coming up in the next few months d4 is a fun game but it's just it's not the same kind of feeling and it's hard to describe but let's uh, move on from moaning and complaining uh, i had mentioned the rog ally earlier having kind of a rocky launch uh, just kind of touching on that, I remember the Steam Deck's launch was pretty rocky too. You know, manufacturer's defects, the fact that SteamOS was like a super early beta. You kind of don't have to worry about that with Windows 11, but I think people are quickly coming to the conclusion that Windows 11 on a handheld needs just a tiny bit of handholding. And the ROG, I guess it's Asus's, Asus's uh, Armory Crate can be good as long as they're willing to put the effort into constantly keeping it updated. I still honestly think that it's just going to be all of the enthusiasts pushing out, what is it, handheld companion, and all those other types of software that will just keep this niche alive. Kind of talking about like a rocky launch, like Steam Deck, the Steam Deck was garbaging half my cards because of full formats. It's kind of weird that the allies SD card is frying <laughs> cards like it's just it's so weird like from the sounds of it it's not frying the actual card for the most part and like 90% of cases it's just overheating that controller to the point where they probably have to let it rest for whatever two hours everything else is kind of just like standard stuff because the forums filled with people experiencing analog stick drift yeah analog stick as a cursor for the first time it's like night and day. I mentioned this before, but I, I feel it's very pertinent. It's a shame that Asus didn't de-bloat Windows for the ally. And it kind of just like makes me ho-hum and be like, well, the Armory Crate is probably an incredibly useful and properly thought through tool. But it's just like sometimes I hold these side projects and it's just such high esteem that I constantly think, would I be better off if I bought an ally and removed the armory crate but hey we're getting back to that point an 8 core 16 thread cpu and probably has the overhead to make windows 11 problems disappear the one thing i have to say is i was kind of disappointed that there's no 32 gigabytes of ram or like an upgraded model and for everyone whose eyes just kind of rolled into the back of their head asking why anyone needs more than 16 gigabytes of ram if you've looked at ram prices now you know, in the u.s i think it's like a a frivolous kind of like $80 upgrade. In Canada, I think when you look at the uh, the other handhelds, it's like a $120 upgrade. And you're like, well, maybe that's a big amount in like the grand scheme of things. And yeah, if we're talking Steam Deck that's bumping up from a 64 gig SSD to a 256 in like their, the models that you can actually buy directly through Steam. But with Asus, like you don't get that option. Like it's like they dropped it down a tier from even like their laptop selection. It's really weird how Asus would allow like the 
like their Zephyrus models, their, their Tufts. I'm staring at my Asus laptop trying to remember what other acronym for budget gaming that isn't tough, and I just, I can't think of it. It looks just like an ROG unit, but it's just, you get to the point where you're like, if you're dropping $900 Canadian, $700 US, wouldn't you rather just put in that extra, what is it, 10%, 11%, 12%, so that you can av completely avoid touching your page file with games that don't respect 4 gigabytes of VRAM? Because when you're talking about 16 gigabytes, that's great for indie games, you know, older games, probably anything that was developed in like the PS4 era. But like if you have four gigs of VRAM, suddenly you're just kind of leaving whatever is left on the table for your game after Windows just kind of like takes what it thinks it needs. And I know that's going to come off as kind of like a real dumb way of explaining it, but there's a lot of games in like the recent years especially the last two years, that show you just having more than 16 gigabytes of RAM really tames some of those really weird 1% lows. I mean, YouTube was kind of in a storm talking about how video card 8 gigabytes of VRAM now, where even games like Diablo 4 on low resolution is still pushing up to 4 gigabytes of VRAM. So it's just kind of baffling that because... Every other competitor is doing it. Even like the basic models, like Aya has the Aya Neo Pro. I'm just going to list them off and I'm imagining I'm going to screw up most of these models, but there's millions of them, like the Pro 2S, the Geek 1S, the Air 1S. Then you have 1X who is releasing the 1X Player 2 Pro and the 1X Fly models at some point. There were two models for AOK Zoe that I remember now and I just didn't write down on this list. Uh, and then finally I have GPD with its refreshes for its WinMax 2, Win4, and a recently announced Win Mini. And just looking here, there's probably a bunch that I've missed, but we'll just call the list at this. Because let's be 100% real, if it weren't for the fact that Asus is like first to the punch, it has a gorgeous native landscape screen on the Ally and what seems to be kind of the best buy guarantee that you can just like throw it back if you don't like it. I think a lot of people would be flocking to its competitors. The, I don't think the RG Ally replaced the Steam Deck. I think it is an upgrade point, but again, like the Steam Deck is on a sale right now and even with 10% off its base model, and the price that I can see to get a one terabyte SSD, it's at an untouchable price point. I will kind of lead this into like my personal rant and story. Uh, I had pre-ordered the ROG Ally just because I wanted to skip the 6800U because it seemed like kind of like a half-step generation. And just looking at what the upper end of the 7840 had, it seemed like it was like the right device to get. Uh, but recently I flew to Taiwan right before Computex, funny enough, but instead of walking through the crowds of sweaty tech tubers and news outlets, I was relaxing and enjoying the beaches of Kending. So I'm pretty sure it's no contest who had a better time. But I did so happen to pass by a mall in Taipei. Uh, it was an Asus store, and funny enough, they had the Ally on display a couple weeks early. It was gorgeous, uh, a bit odd er ergonomically when I had first held it, and by that I mean like 
I primarily play PC games that I use a controller with, with an Xbox 360. I don't mind PS4, but like Xbox 360 is the one that I usually go to. Playing with the Steam Deck has felt really comfortable. And then holding the RG Ally was a bit of a controller shock. Uh, it was weird how light the analog sticks were to like move around. It didn't feel high quality, but it probably didn't feel too bad. The giant buttons were kind of an issue for me because as much as I hate switch buttons, I think that Xbox and the Steam Deck's buttons are just, just kind of right. And it felt kind of weird playing games with giant buttons. It was weird. The two games that were on the device, I think, were like Moving Out and Forza 4. Like, I wasn't going to play Moving Out at 120 hertz, so I booted up Forza 4 uh, in Mandarin with ease and just kind of watching the gameplay go by. Uh, just having that extra performance blows the Steam Deck out of the water. But if we're talking Canadian dollars here, it's $900. It should absolutely do that and have a better screen and have the newest APU. We're getting into basic laptop territory because right now you can get a Steam Deck for $449 Canadian uh, and just so happens that you can add that one terabyte SSD for $85. So as much as you're going to struggle to play games at 1080p and be an elitist jerk, saying that 800p is not good as 1080p, well, fine, but then I can go and spend $300, you know, plus or minus tax on every indie game you could possibly desire. And, the, and then there's other things, like, I was like, well, maybe I can just pick it up. You know, there's no trackpads, but I can probably just hook up my Sony Bluetooth keyboard from my old media player, only to remember that there's no Windows driver support for the touchpad like there is on Linux. And so after bouncing around, looking at different models, trying to figure out which one I could get with 32 gigabytes, what sacrifices I would have to make for the screen, which one looks like an ergonomic disaster, I kind of just made the decision to cancel. And I'm kind of just on the fence. I might pull the trigger someday, but realistically right now I'm waiting for Best Buy to have an open box device for sale. It sounds kind of ridiculous. I was looking at uh, bestbuy.com in the US and there's, you can go to like any store, you can order them online, you can get an excellent quality open box unit for $55 off. So I'm a little bit bitter that us Canucks up in the great north don't have access to the same stock. I also kind of thought about it from like a logical point where I don't mind playing games at 40 FPS. I've kind of just like got to a point where I'm happy running some of the maybe more optimized games at 45 to 50 FPS. And a lot of the games I end up playing on my deck are just indie games or old remasters anyway. So everything runs 60 FPS. For any of you that have pulled the trigger and absolutely think that the ROG Ally is the best step up, you know, I probably would agree with you, but I didn't have that pre-order one year in advance kind of confidence in the ROG Ally that I do with the Steam Deck. It's also kind of weird that we're like two and a half weeks post-launch and kind of the coverage just like died on it. But, le but I guess we'll leave it at that. We can talk about some of the games that I bought on the Steam sale and some of the games that are probably coming out soon. Uh, day one Steam sale. There were a couple games that I had always just like had on my radar, but I didn't think I had time to play it. Technically, I don't have time to play it because I'm still not done Tears of the Kingdom. 
I feel like I'm good on Diablo 4 until Season 1 comes out. And then even then, July looks like it's going to be crazy. I did muster up a couple of $10 games and just kind of one HD port that I had on my wish list forever. First game I bought was Wildermyth. It came out like two years ago. And all I can say is, where the hell was I two years ago? It is a solid indie RPG with just like the the, the way that you have to make story choices. Uh, the combat scenarios are very rich. Uh, there's multiplayer, which just looking like nine of my friends have it. So I'm pretty sure I could guilt trip them into co-oping one night. But you know an overwhelmingly positive game is just like an absolute beast when it's 25% off two years later. It's a game that I've been playing on the Steam Deck and on PC. Uh, I love it, but the graphics are just a step down, so I, I find that I gravitate towards the deck. Ship of Fools is another game I bought. It met my $10 kind of indie fodder criteria. Although some reviews have been kind of harsh, which I think makes up probably like that entire 20% of the non-80% that love the game, mostly because of the uh, the multiplayer problems that people are running into. I think Team 17 has just put out another great title uh, when it comes to people who like boats. <laughs> I think, uh, just trying to remember, I think it was Yahtzee who was talking about, you know, dad mode. And I'm coming to the stark realization that for some reason we all, we both love boat <laughs> roguelikes. But this boat wrote like, but this boat roguelike uh, you basically raft down a river and use your cannons, uh, different types of ammo, harpoons, buffs, anything you can do to stop all those jerks from sinking your boat. I do feel like just kind of the quality of the game and the replay value, it could have very well been a humble bottle fodder type game in the next like few months here, uh, but it's fun. I played it a couple nights just kind of casually in bed. It's good. I really like it. The last game on my list that I kind of like held out for for a while it was mostly because they held out for a while. And it's not an indie game. It's an Xbox 360 game I played called Resonance of Fate. It is, like I said, an Xbox 360 RPG about kind of just like job takers living in a polluted world with a cast day system that you're certainly on the bottom of. They go through a whole bunch of, like, story about, you know, tech lost to history, yada yada yada, people are disappearing and dying, you want to be the guy, and, you know, bad people are unnecessarily evil, you manage combat where you do energy combos, rebuild pathways to get to different zones and uh, find treasure. Did I mention in combat that you can jump and twirl and shoot people in the face? It falls into that kind of niche of where JRPGs were not running out of ideas, but like pushing into like the wild style of how to make a good JRPG. It was developed by Tri-Ace. Uh, Tri-Ace games have always held a special place in my heart. And while they haven't released really anything too solid recently, or I would say maybe it's hard to say. I feel like by the time they started going deep into the full 3D era of games, they've kind of just like fell into mediocrity. But honestly, I would say that this is probably one of the hidden classics, one of the hidden classic JRPGs anyways, that died with the Xbox 360. And if you're like me, who kind of likes a hard game and something that you can slog through, check it out. 
because the only other game that I'm waiting for for the Xbox 360 is Lost Odyssey. And just, I will sit here and wait for your return. I will sit here and just wait for it to return. Uh, as we're looking forward, just kind of looking at July, list of games that you could probably keep your eye on. Remnant 2 uh, should be out. The first game was pretty good as far as, what, over-the-shoulder, Souls-like meets Gears of War games. It's pretty fun for kind of procedurally generated. Uh, it definitely got hard in three-player co-op, so I'm confident we're going to give that game a go. For all you old farts, and probably some of the older farts than I, uh, AEW Fight Forever is a game made by the old N64 uh, wrestling de developers. I, I think it's called, uh, was it WCW versus NWO World Tour? And one other game that I'm just kicking myself because I wrote down one and not the other. Uh, apparently, they they brought back the old some of the old devs into the game and kind of made it just like an N64 game homage. A bunch of my friends in my <laughs> age range are already interested in it, and it's kind of funny for the fact that wrestling has kind of been dead to me since the abominations of games that came out since then. So I'm really hoping this game kind of reignites the magic, or at least, you know, is good enough and ends up on an Xbox Game Pass to save me purchasing it. For Nintendo titles, I'm probably going to skip it, but Pikmin 4 is coming out, and that's a hard thing to say. Like, I really like Pikmin 1 and Pikmin 2, but I also remember buying Pikmin 3 from a Walmart bargain bin at $10 after not realizing that it came out, and since I haven't heard anyone talking about it, uh, I think I will look to reviews before jumping on this one. There's always a ton of indie titles that I miss and will eventually get missed unless they start drawing attention to themselves. I'm only going to talk about two. Uh, one is Dave the Diver. It's kind of a really interesting one where you are a, a deep sea diver by night and a sushi restaurant owner by day. Uh, it is rocking the typical overwhelming. So I highly suggest checking it out. I missed being able to download that demo, so I'm kind of relying on other sources to see how the long-term appeal is. Another game that I want you guys to check out uh, is Hammerwatch 2. Uh, it has a demo out right now that wasn't just stuck to the period of whatever Steam's Indie Fest, uh, and the planned release is in August. I hope they do maybe like an early access, but if not, I think I can wait. Hammerwatch is kind of like a top-down gauntlet type of game uh, but now that I've been able to play the demo it feels like they've kind of zoomed in a bit it feels like there's more of like an exploration crafting equipment system than just like a pure roguelike and it has my full attention I mean I guess it doesn't have to do too much I have 146 hours into Heroes of Hammerwatch so you could probably say that I'm both a fan and also have high hopes for this one that's it I said I was going to keep it short, and I probably kept it just as long as I usually go, but I hope you're enjoying the games that you're playing right now. I hope most of you are lost in Tears of the Kingdom. If not, you know, enjoy summer, go get some sun, stay hydrated, or stay inebriated. You know, just have some fun, enjoy the summer. Everyone everywhere else that doesn't get summer, enjoy your cold, cold winter, and in any way, find a way to relax and enjoy yourself. We're walking away from some crappy times and some crappy games, so we'll keep things simple and sweet. And lastly, uh, I would ask that if you're enjoying the podcast, 
leave a review or a comment. Uh, you know, if you've liked the podcast, if you have a recommendation, uh, or I don't know, just ream me out for content that I push or maybe like my wonky release schedule. But that's it. This was episode six. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you next time.